Welcome to the Crack the MBA show. My name is Nupur Gupta and I'm your host. Our guest today is Shiv Ganesh who graduated from the Booth School at University of Chicago in 2020 as a JN Tata scholar and as a Booth Merit scholar. At Booth, Shiv was involved with the tech, analytics, management consulting and South Asian business groups. Prior to Booth, Shiv worked in data science at Oyo. Shiv currently works as a senior data scientist at a sports startup called Mojo in Chicago. Hi Shiv, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hi Nepal, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Shiv, can you tell our audience a little bit about where you grew up, your college education and your work experiences prior to Booth? I grew up in Madurai, Tamil Nadu. I did my entire schooling over there and then I did my undergrad education in engineering from College of Engineering Kindi in electronics and communication engineering and then I went on to pursue a master's degree from the Indian Institute of Science where I focused on system science and machine learning. One of the reasons why I decided to pursue this master's program was to kind of explore my interest in applied mathematics. and how it has the potential to be part of like so much problem solving in businesses that naturally led me to pursue a path in data science with an intersection of applied data science in business in business problem solving naturally i started my professional career as a data scientist at oyo rooms i was one of the earliest data scientists to join there so naturally i had a lot of exposure in seeing first hand how i can build data science tools and products to solve some of their really really core challenging problems whether it when it came to operations revenue management or even marketing so it was a great journey for me and a great learning experience as well shiv prospective students would love to hear a little bit about your admissions journey as well so could you share why you were looking to pursue an mba Like I said when I started at Oyo Rooms I really wanted to explore this career where I'm able to bring together my knowledge or theoretical learning machine learning and engineering to solve practical business problems and I was really able to add value in the business but I also realized that my learnings my experience on the engineering and theoretical side were really just one half of the problem or one half of like the solution rather sorry the other half is about understanding how business works and also kind of connecting this mathematical and theoretical background with practical problem solving and from that perspective for me an mba made total sense because a it gave me a good understanding of or rather at that point of time my rationalization was it would give me a good understanding of how business works and how to connect with the problems of business and also it would give me a great amount of you know soft skills and the ability to connect with people and present my solutions and advocate for my solution so it was a combination of both networking and skills as well as kind of understanding nuts and bolts of business shiv can you talk about the admissions process that you went through what were the top two or three factors that helped you succeed in your application to booth the admissions journey is a long and lengthy battle i would say there were so many high points as well as like kind of obstacles on the positive side i had a good gmat score but gmat is just one part of the overall application so obviously over indexing on gmat is more like i had a good gmat score that it won't be a problem let's put it that way but there were other components to my application 
where on the positive side, I had a master's education related to data science. And then I was working in a, in a business or a startup where I was able to apply those learnings. So there was no abrupt transitions or anything. So I was able to like build together a coherent story to the admissions team saying that I started here and I wanted to do this. I went through an education that helped me achieve that. And then I came to a profession where I'm able to employ that education. I was also able to connect my long and short-term goals as to how they are logical next steps in my professional journey. These were kind of what worked in favor, I would say. But there were things that really were stacked against me. They were really stacked against me from the perspective that, A, I had gone on a medical sabbatical for like eight months due to some illness. So obviously, there was a big gap in my professional journey before OYO. So it was like I finished my master's education. I worked for 10 months in a company and then there was a nine-month break and then I started at OYO. So obviously on the face of it, it might not look good. So I had to justify why I took that break and things like that. And one more thing was I didn't have as much sophisticated what people usually associate with kind of an MBA candidate, like being involved with so many NGOs or being involved in some kind of extracurricular activities of sport. I didn't have anything that stood out other than my core personality of being in data science. So to kind of overcome that as well as the gap was kind of a little bit of challenge for me, but it worked out in the end. And I'm happy to talk about what I did in either of these elements as well. Right. If you could briefly talk about how you overcame these obstacles, I think that could be really helpful. Definitely. So in the case of my professional gap, the admissions committee, they're just humans like us. So I just wrote an additional essay saying that why I had to take this break. And there was a proper reason in my case. The only thing that I added was how this break transformed me. I kind of worked hard even during this break to make sure that when I become fully ready to work again, I don't have any kind of deficiency in my technical skills. I was able to work even while I was like, you know, recovering. I was able to, sorry, uh, go for online classes even when I was recovering. So like just a little bit of mentions of these things really kind of made sure that the admissions committee understood that this was inevitable for me and hence, but I still made sure that it wasn't too bad on my overall professional life. So at the end of the day, they are very empathetic themselves. So they will understand if you have any kind of kind of situations in your life. Of course, not everyone has a medical break, but there might be other reasons why you had to take a break or anything else. So obviously, if you're being honest about it, I think that goes a long way in terms of convincing them that, yes, they would be able to see from your shoes as well. The other one, that's I think is a very common problem which candidates face, especially in a country like India, where education is placed at most importance and we don't typically are encouraged to explore other avenues as well, which potentially people from the West usually do. You don't have to be really, really anxious about, oh my God, I have to build uh, you know, an experience association with some NGOs. I have to do this volunteering work. It's not necessary unless you actually are passionate about it. So admissions committee usually value depth over breadth. So I would say pick out two core facets of your personality and just talk in extensive detail about it. So in my case, one part of my personality was about how I'm very interested in applied math. And like I essentially created uh, my own, crafted my entire career around that space. So not just saying that I'm a data scientist because I love data or science or something like that, 
but more like give the motivation or how it influenced you like from the beginning from like from early child onwards how so forming out that coherent story and actually strengthening your uh, journey will really help and the other aspect of my personality was how i was interested in politics this is something i'm really passionate about and talking about how it would potentially connect with my mba journey so just being honest and truthful to yourself and like writing in depth about these interests rather than having like a wide variety of ngo or voluntary work would go a long way in convincing people coming to school selection right what led you to choose booth for your mba i believe you had other opportunities as well i wanted to go into a school where they actually place a premium on approaching business problems with an analytical rigor and that made my job easy because that brought down the number of schools to a very small handful of schools that actually do that when i say that you know approach something from an analytical rigor i mean like not just like you know building mathematical models or something but more like ingrained into the culture of the school a business school is not just the business school in itself there is a larger like you know associated other schools like economics and finance so obviously you know there are only certain set of schools which have this uh, long standing heritage or culture of encouraging research and participation in or rather approaching business problems from this analytical kind of focus and that narrowed my search to very few schools and without mentioning other schools booth was probably like my number one choice when it came to this i think the first thing that comes to anyone's mind when you talk about booth is just that that they are focused on uh, analytical approach to the chicago school of thought so everything is kind of adds up together and uh, so that made my job really easy and uh, thankfully yeah uh, i was able to make it to the school which i really wanted to be there what does the chicago approach mean for you and if at all you have an anecdote or an example to help us better understand it even better loosely speaking what it means is that instead of approaching problems on a case to case basis the faculty or the, the entire research atmosphere at chicago teaches you a broad framework of tools that you can apply to solve any problems in the future uh that is not to say that you will be invincible and everything will be falling in places for you directly rather giving you a more generalizable set of frameworks and tools to approach business problems in the future is what i think it would aptly define uh, or rather very closely define the chicago approach uh to give you a few examples um uh like when i took my marketing strategy class instead of working out through different cases of marketing uh, approaches you know what the professor taught me was more like approach it from these specific angles and like from a customer perspective and basically gave me a very easily digestible set of frameworks or tools for evaluating marketing and growth strategies for any business and that is actually so uh, versatile that i can even now even whether it's mojo or any company which i'm currently working for uh, i am still able to borrow those tools and techniques to kind of uh, at least have a broad understanding of where we are heading and things like that so i think that that versatility is what i would really really appreciate uh, in terms of the chicago approach can you talk about what kind of outreach you undertook to get to know booth i think there are like two broad like outreach opportunities that you would have as a potential candidate one is basically getting involved in school sponsored events 
So in my case, when I was in Gurgaon, like there was an event that happened in Delhi. So I went there. Uh, it was a great opportunity because uh, the the admissions committee brought together uh, a broad set of alums from Booth uh, who happened to work in diverse fields and they were also happened to be in India. So it was a great opportunity for me to actually listen to them about their own experiences at Booth and how in their career, how they were able to take advantage of the Booth's network. In addition to that, it's just about uh, looking up people on LinkedIn and just like, you know, cold message, cold emailing them saying that, hey, would you like to, you know, schedule a chat and things like that. Very often people are very supportive and uh, they usually respond back. And uh, yeah, it's 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 even better when you when you kind of mix your uh, networking with both like Alan's who have made uh, who are already in the professional uh, back in the industry, whereas with the first year and second year students, because the perspectives are so different. So you would get a more uh, well-rounded understanding of the life and experience there. Okay, that's really helpful. Thanks, Shiv. Shiv, just reflecting on the admissions process, right? What do you think you could have done better? And do you have any advice for prospective applicants? Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say that. Um, I would definitely say that uh, there were there was probably two things that I would uh, really uh, want or um, you know at least advise potential candidates to keep in mind. One is uh, when when you're talking about essays and like when you're writing down your essays, it's always good to keep some stories or some anecdotes uh, in reserve. So I'll tell you why I mean this, what, what I mean through this. So when I was uh, applying for Booth, uh, so you a typical candidate usually has a set of stories that they usually kind of bring it together and write it in their essays, anecdotes and stories. Uh, now, what happened in my case was I kind of used all my stories for my first admissions essay for Booth, and it was so impressive. But then when the adcom came back saying that, hey, we like your profile, we want to interview you, but as part of the interview process, we also want you to write a secondary essay. And that was when I didn't have new stories, actually. And I really kind of hit a writer's block of sorts. And then I had to really think about things. And finally, I was able to put together a good job. But then this is very important. This seems a little trivial or mundane, but actually it's very important that you always have a reserve set of anecdotes for you. You never know when your B-School will surprise you and ask for more stories or anecdotes. So I would say that's something I would keep in mind. And uh, more importantly, I would say, um, I indexed too much on the admissions essays, and uh, that was very helpful in keeping my application stand out. But at the same time, I think I could have done more about the interview process as well. Because I remember coming out of the interview process thinking that, I don't think I'm getting this. I came so close, but I don't think I made it. Because there were certain questions which kind of completely caught me off guard. Off guard. And uh, I think being very uh, prepared for the interview goes a long way in terms of uh, showing that confidence to the interviewer as well, that you are so well prepared. As much as it's difficult to sit down and write on your essays and things like that, interview carry a humongous weight as well. And it's not a very minor detail that you can overlook. So I would definitely be focused on that as well if I do it all over again. Very helpful and definitely tips we don't usually hear. So very uncommon and helpful advice, Shiv. Thank you. Shiv, what's something you wish you did 
or that you knew prior to getting to business school when i approached business school i was thinking about even though i said that you know i wanted to build on my networking skills and like professional skills as well like more as an evolve as an all-rounded well-rounded leader business leader through the business school i thought it would be very close to kind of a master's education and uh, i indexed too much on i wouldn't say too much but i was thinking of approaching it more like you take courses and then you learn through it but uh what really happens in a b school is much more diff- much different from that it's not going to be anyone who has done a master's degree it's not going to be like your typical master's ms or uh other degrees uh it is going to be from day one you'll act like you have gotten your mba so you're going to start on like you know things that you probably would not have done before like you know take leadership responsibilities for student clubs or even like start recruiting from like week 3 week 4 onward so you will be you will be learning learning on the fly rather like it's really helpful if you come with that mindset prior beforehand so where you can probably uh you know think about the industry or the companies that you are interested in applying to and you know look at some of the profiles of people who work there already maybe even start reaching out to them before you start your b school these kind of give you a head start because when i started at b school i was under the impression that first quarter would be more on like academics and then you slowly start recruiting but it wasn't the case at all it was essentially from week 3 week 4 onwards you are start recruiting start networking so i think if you prepare a little bit beforehand it takes a lot of anxiety and stress off you booth is different from other top mba programs in that there is no first year core curriculum and apart from lead there is no required course so how does that shape the mba journey what are the pros and cons of this teaching pedagogy yeah that's a great question in fact it was one of the reasons why i wanted to be part of booth in ad- like it it kind of was a good uh supplementary uh kind of dimension to the flex uh, to the analytical approach of both i will talk about both the pros and the cons as you had mentioned like uh, on the on the positive side uh you can really skip classes or courses that you will that won't be fully aligned with your professional interests so uh, honestly like jump deep into the ones that you are really passionate about so I came from a background in data science and I even in my long and short term goals and rather actually post MBA I wanted to get it back into data science so what my requirements were not to kind of waste time on too many courses that steered away from this specific career alignment in my case and I was able to really take far far advanced classes in data science and analytics at both from day one so uh like first quarter i was taking a really advanced data science course and uh, it made sense in my case because i had my data science background covered this was more on how the business and data science play uh, interrelationship work out to be so it made total sense to me but obviously it wouldn't make sense to someone else who's coming from a very good finance background but for them basic accounting won't make sense so this kind of freedom is nowhere else available so and uh, these courses really helped me in my internship searches as well like i was able to actually apply what i learned in these classes in my internship interviews which happened in the second quarter so uh, that i don't think any other school being biased here but any other school i don't think they can claim this kind of flexibility in the downside is obviously 
it could become a little stressful where you are uh, taking ownership of your professional journey and uh, yes you will have advisors to advise you on professional courses um, on the courses that you class work you can take given your goals but at the end of the day you you have full ownership of it and uh, you know sometimes you might neglect or not take classes that you thought you might not be interested or might not be relevant to you in my case i put off taking accounting finance these uh, focus courses till like my uh like second year second half and uh, when i finally did those courses i was like oh my god these are very interesting probably i should have taken a little earlier and could have taken a little more advanced classes in these uh you know areas so yeah i think that is one of the downsides i would say but i think you can mitigate that by just keep talking to class uh, keep talking to students and uh, like seniors and say, thinking about which classes are good and relevant to your area and also uh, you know making sure you're keeping an open mind and not saying so focused on your own kind of interests uh the other downside is of course you won't have a kind of a consistent set of classmates to do homeworks and kind of have a bonding uh, opportunities there in my case i uh, the the my homework buddies or homework partners were the ones who i networked a lot and it really helped me but sometimes when the quarter ends we lose that connection and it's hard to kind of keep up that momentum whereas if you have like a fixed set of classes you're pretty likely to stay with the same set of students uh, whom you work with for like at least 2 3 quarters how do people uh, navigate that how do people manage to develop close connections initially especially in the first year yeah i mean one of the things that i saw was that you had mentioned about the leadership program the lead program basically so that helps a little bit if you're on your if you're on a single cohort like if you're on the same cohort kind of we created some whatsapp group where we said like we will have dinner at each of their places like you know once in a month or once a, once in two weeks or three weeks so that kind of kept the momentum going a little bit but there was also this another thing where we have something called uh, random walk before the business school starts uh, which is essentially like student organized trips going over to different countries i saw that the bonding between these random walk cohorts was actually strong even after the school started and also it went almost to the end of it because it is like a way to connect with students outside this b school professional journey and like they are more genuine and they are stronger in a way so that's something if anyone who gets into both i would definitely recommend going on a random walk in addition to that i think professional clubs are a great way to stay in touch anyone one who's part of your same professional club whether it's marketing or like consulting technology they typically tend to form good relationship and that stays over time shiv you talked about the random walk so for people who are uninitiated about what that is could you just briefly describe it and if you went on it could you talk about your experience as well yeah unfortunately i did the mistake of not going for the random walk first of all uh, random walks are essentially um student organized trips uh to really really good and exotic locations before b school starts they basically kind of do kind of an auction methodology i don't exactly remember how 
these trips are kind of uh, selected, but you basically like the trips are already like the itineraries and all prepared, and there is like a fixed budget associated with each of them. You will have different levels of difficulty level, if you will. Like some will be very easy, like no kind of camping of sorts. Some will be extremely outdoorsy, where you have to like you won't even have access to proper restrooms. The trips. Uh, kind of uh, range from very easy to very difficult kind of ones and there is obviously a budget associated with each of them so you essentially have to kind of bid for each of those tips like kind of give you the first second third options and things like that and they do some kind of a rank choice some kind of a assignment mechanism and then finally you get assigned uh, to a particular uh, destination or trip yeah you get to go with and meet the future classmates i think they are usually like a week or like 10 day long trip so a very very great opportunity to bond with classmates without the pressures and the stresses associated with your b school life because the life hasn't started yet so really really and in a non professional setting as well so i highly recommend that they are they cost anywhere between three thousand to four thousand dollars, and uh, that was one of the reasons why I thought, okay, maybe it's not important, but I think it's very important. Can you talk a little bit about housing and how people manage to stay together and socialize despite living in different locations? Yeah, that's a great question. Both has a very unique city school atmosphere, but also has uh, somehow it has evolved into a really, really close knit network. Uh, I'll tell you why. First of all, yes, I think close to 80% of the students, close to 75 to 80% of students live downtown, whereas the remaining 20, 25% people live in Hyde Park, which is in the university campus. Hyde Park has its own kind of reputation of some, you know, not being that safe and things like that. But, uh, you know, the, the students who live there didn't have much issues, uh, but they're generally likely to be married couples usually anyone who's not married or more like 80 percent of people live downtown uh, even though it's a little far the reason why most of them choose to live downtown is not because just like it's not that great safety or issues of that of Hyde Park but more like you will have more networking opportunities in downtown rather in Hyde Park especially for people working in trying to be part of consulting or banking uh, they schedule the consultants and bankers schedule regular coffee chats uh, maybe in a Starbucks or something like that. And that, or even they ask you to come down to the office. Students have a great way to kind of uh, attending these coffee chats amidst all the busy schedules if they live downtown and not in Hyde Park. So uh, that's one of the major, major reasons why most of them choose to live in downtown. In terms of how people tend to like connect with each other and form that close kind of community despite living in downtown, that is basically like, I don't know if it happened by chance or by design. All the students live in like, majorly between three or four buildings in downtown and they are just stones throw away from each other and uh, even among those like three four buildings there is a specific building called millennium park plaza where i think close to 50 percent of the community lives there so at some point you almost feel like it's a dorm and not like some kind of an apartment building that you rented out because at the end of the day people just post uh you know 1106 1205 so they just post their number, like unit numbers, and we just like keep shuffling between them on like the Slack groups and all those things. It's such a close knit community because of that. And even when we are working on homework assignments and all those things, they just mention like you know the business rooms and like either Millennium Park Plaza or the other three buildings. So you just like you know walk around and go to the whole business uh, you know offices and like start working on your homework assignments. So yeah, it's it's a great great uh, setting. 
that you get the advantages of being in living in a downtown without having to be scattered or spread around like probably you will expect in New York or other cities. Yeah, I, I know that building. I happened to be in Chicago when I was in the MBA process myself and the building I was living in the Millennium Park building you talked about. There were a oh, lot of booties there. So I remember even meeting somebody there. Hey, if you come down to the lobby, you will find a booty or like, you know, a couple of booties there all the time. So there is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, super, super cool. Um, yeah. uh, and one more detail I forgot to mention is, uh, sorry, Nepal, is that uh, there are like good um, metra, which is almost like a metro of sort in Chicago, which is just a hop away from these four buildings. Uh, so you just, get onto the train and then you get out at the university campus. So uh, the commuting is also very easy. Okay, that's really helpful. And uh, Shiv, one thing which you were talking about and also something we've been hearing a little bit about is the safety aspect, right? You talked about Hyde Park. So there's been some news about certain incidents which have happened. So just wanted to get your perspective on how safe in your opinion is it at University of Chicago and at Booth specifically? Yeah, it's it's really an unfortunate situation. I would say that like some of the developments that happened in the last year, it was really, honestly, it was shocking as well as very unfortunate. The loss of a few precious, a couple of precious lives there, uh, really promising students. I think these incidents were really, really like very isolated and very uh, not commonplace occurrences. But that being said, Hyde Park is having a, a not great reputation. And we are usually encouraged to take uh, classes that are in the morning rather than like evening classes. So, yeah, that is just part and parcel of the school's atmosphere. But, uh, but yeah, but like generally speaking, the location where the school is located or uh, your walk to the railway station, the metro station, these are all usually protected by campus police, so there is not much activity unless you try to like we are really far away from the campus. That's where probably there are some unsafe corners, I would say. Um, but other than that, it's usually uh, well uh, kind of crowded with students all the time. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my two cents on that. Talking a little bit more in depth about academics, right? Shiv, you talked about all these great classes that you got an opportunity to take. Can you tell us about your favorite classes and professors? I would say, uh, hands down, there are a couple of classes that I really, really would like to go back and take all over again. One is uh, Advanced Microeconomic Analysis by Dr. Uh, Kevin Murphy. Uh, he's called Turbo Murphy, fondly called Turbo Murphy in Booth because uh, his class is really on turbo board. He doesn't use uh, PowerPoint presentations. He uses whiteboard. He's just amazing. He's an amazing economist, very, very well-renowned. Uh, and uh, it's honestly an honor to be in his class. You know, having never come from an economics background, being in his class was just amazing for me. Obviously, it kind of aligns with the analytical rigor and the kind of the Chicago approach that I talked about. He gives you, uh, teaches you a broad set of economic tools that helps you analyze and kind of you take take with you, carry on with you for the rest of your life. It stays with you forever. And uh, the other, probably two more classes I would say is, one was Revenue Management uh, by Professor Caldente. Uh, he's also an extremely, extremely sweet professor. It's basically a course about how you do revenue management across several industries. For example, 
in the airline or the hospitality industry, you typically increase prices as you approach the D-Day. Whereas in fashion, it's the other way around. It's like markdown pricing as the uh, as the time uh, as the time increases so uh, there is a reason and there is math guiding all these decisions and his class essentially covers every single industry like this uh, and the associated mathematical models as well as like the frameworks that are relevant there so again a wonderful class and third i would say there was a class called data science bar for marketing decision making by professor gunther hish I'm not sure if I pronounced his name right, but he was amazing. Uh, it is again, as the name implies, uh, using data science for approaching marketing decision, uh, marketing management rather. Uh, how would you manage churn? How do you set prices? How would you target customers through CRM? Uh, everything is guided by data and analytics. And his class, you actually engage in actual real world data, which is exclusively available for his class. Yeah, it's a great honor to be, it was a great honor to be in that class as well. Uh, all of them very relevant to my area, uh, prof- areas of interest. So I really enjoyed uh, being in each of these classes. Shiv, I know you talked about the random walk as a must-do experience. Apart from that, is there anything else that you would recommend as a must-do experience at Booth? I would say uh, it's very competitive, but if there is an opportunity to be part of the lead program, volunteer, not the participant, it would be great. So what happens is that the lead program is called the leadership program, leadership development program, which is very unique to Chicago Booth, is that they have like a kind of a boot camp of sorts, like during the first quarter, where you engage in a series of leadership development exercises. And these are typically led and designed and led by second-year volunteers who kind of take ownership of the class design and things like that for an entire cohort. And uh, to be part of the student volunteer is extremely competitive. There's a lot of interviews and things like that. Again, there's networking happening there. But if you actually manage to be part of it, that is a great experience as well. Typically, that happens later on in your first year towards the end of your spring quarter when these interviews are happening. So it's very important to uh, network with existing student volunteers because they are the ones who's going to select the ones for the next year. So that is definitely one I would strongly recommend. And I would also recommend, if possible, any kind of leadership positions in any of other student-led clubs. Whether it's professional or uh, interest clubs, it doesn't matter. It's very, it is very important or it's very uh, recommended, highly recommended to do that because it gives you kind of lifelong connections as well. Shiv, you were involved with four clubs, right? Like tech, analytics, management consulting, and the South Asian business groups. Can you tell us a little bit about the major activities and purposes of each of these groups? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll go one by one. The professional clubs are the Booth Technology Group and the Booth Management Consulting Group, MCG rather. And there was also the analytics group, which is still up and coming. So um, I was involved in it. And But the big ones are these two, the other two, which is Booth Technology and the MCG, which is the consulting group. I would say if you have interest or want to create a career in either consulting or technology, both these groups are a, kind of a must to be part of. I don't think, at least with consulting, I don't think you would ever land a job in consulting without the, the MCG. They essentially streamline and make this entire stressful process a little more predictable, I would say. 
because they are there to guide you in your networking opportunities with consultants and all these consulting companies work closely with the mcg chairs to uh, mcg basically the the student presidents basically to kind of design their coffee chats and all the networking sessions with them so uh, by being part of the club you will have exclusive op- opportunity to be part of all these coffee chats and other networking opportunities with these consultants and then once a networking you know kind of session goes in you know full turbo mode uh, then they slowly start introducing case preparations as well so this is later in the half of the fall quarter which is the first quarter uh, where uh, you will start uh, you know uh, giving or practicing cases with second years as well as like fellow first years and then they help you in the interview preparations as well when you finally land at the interview so mcg is amazing when i went through the club uh, club's activities i found it very stressful but now thinking back i think they were making an extremely stressful and unpredictable uh, experience a little less stressful and little more predictable so it's a strong recommendation both technology group is not as structured as the consulting mainly because technology companies themselves are not structured in their recruiting processes uh, but they do give you a lot of resources to prepare especially if you're into product management product marketing management as well as any um, kind of niche fields in the tech industry uh, and also it gives you access to uh, kind of students who have already cracked it in the previous years and uh, they can share your their experience as well there is even a chance that they will be able to provide you referrals as well and in technology industry referral makes a big deal in whether you get an interview or not in both these cases these clubs are very helpful in your professional search coming to the south asian business group which is basically kind of a, you know i kind of a group bringing together south asians there is no specific india group but rather like south asian india pakistan bangladesh sri lanka these are they all come together to form this uh, south asian business group i would say as a south asian myself south asian business group was uh, one of the important kind of clubs that uh, kind of makes you feel a little less homesick and kind of make you feel that there is an entire community here that you can rely on having travels so many miles away from your you know hometown so and your friends and family there so really really amazing group amazing vibe uh, there is uh, such a plethora diverse interest in their group so whether you want to be in consulting whether you want to be in technology or even random for like people like me who wanted to be in analytics and data science there will always be someone there who had already done that and you can go and reach out to them they will do your resume reviews it's essentially kind of a you know pay it forward kind of club and uh, played a vital role in first of all making me less homesick so uh, yeah definitely a great resource finally i'm sorry i forgot to mention of the both analytics group both analytics group is more like an up and evolving group um there is no at least when i was during my time at both it wasn't as structured as the other groups um but it's been two years now the the groups are tremendous improvement between the time i joined and between the time i graduated so now it's probably even more structured but uh at its core basic or like core uh, uh it's basically helping students who come from diverse backgrounds to have kind of at least a minimum set of skills and exposure to kind of form a career in analytics and this could be something like giving you basic excel training or training in tools like r and python they have a lot of boot camp sessions 
So it is more ad hoc than the other group, but uh, nonetheless, they are very valuable, especially for someone who's uh, who's coming from a completely different field and wanted to try uh, their hands in analytics. So it's a great resource opportunity as well from that perspective. Shiv, um, now transitioning a little bit to recruiting, right? Can you speak to us about the recruiting timeline at both? When do the different industry employers arrive on campus? Yeah, great question. Honestly, uh, I would have it would have been very helpful for me if I had known these timelines ad, uh, in advance of joining both. For consulting, it starts almost, I think it starts at week four, I think. The week four of your business school journey. So uh, that's when, you know, one of the biggest, like, comes to the campus and makes sure, like has a massive corporate conversation kind of event and then you take it forward from there uh, from there it's an endless stream of coffee chats and networking sessions throughout uh, the rest of your quarter first quarter and then you start doing case preparations during the end of first quarter and then during the winter break you you should ideally have prepared for like 40 or 50 cases with your friends and uh, seniors and then january second week onwards the interview starts so that's like a typical consulting timeline so if you want to if you're really interested in consulting i would say make sure that you're familiar with the broader industry the broader casing terms and things like that like reading about the books on cracking the casing interviews and things like that really helps though casing is only one part of it uh, the networking is important as well so uh, if you come and start at both, they will say that, you know, networking is so important and they will not allow you to start case preparation in the first probably five weeks or so. That's how the consulting timeline works. Second is technology. Technology industry is typically a little less structured. I would say very unstructured rather. Uh, there are, it, it depends. The big tech is a little more structured. The, the startups and the smaller firms are not structured at all. Startups and the smaller firms do, do more like just-in-time recruiting, which means they come just before, just at the end of spring quarter and like post positions. It's more networking heavy and also like you have to reach out to people on LinkedIn and you won't have confirmation till like the very end of first year. So it's uh, as an international student, it's very risky. So people usually go for big tech and then pivot to startups later on in their professional lives. So big tech, uh, I would say Amazon is more structured. They come around like November or December. Uh, Apple is more structured. Uh, they come early on. They have networking sessions, but they have. But they usually they all have their interviews in like during the winter quarter of like January, February and things like that. The only difference between big tech and like the startups is that they have more clear understanding of their requirements so you would know in advance who's recruiting and who's not and they will also be more willing to come to campus during like november december when you can go and talk to people uh, but there is a lot of industries or companies which lie between this big tech of google and amazon and apple and obscure startups uh, like some kind of mid-scale tech companies they don't come to campus but they typically post their roles around like january or december on like linkedin and on things like that so for them uh, it's advisable you talk to someone before applying, but it's not mandatory. Uh, the goal is uh, is to apply to as many companies as possible, not to kind of, uh, here it's more breadth before depth. Uh, I would, at least based on my own experience, you typically apply to as many tech companies as possible and then keep your fingers crossed that you hear back from some of them. It would be great if you could connect to someone and uh, ask them to put down a referral, but uh, if you can't, 
that should not stop you from applying because the scale matters. Uh, for banking, banking almost similarly uh, mirrors the experience of consultants. They are even more; their process is even more structured than consulting and more hectic as well. But the conversion probability is higher in banking than consulting, so it's kind of a trade-off. Uh, the more miserable you are in the first quarter, the higher you are likely to get a job in January. And my my roommate was in banking, and he was miserable throughout the fall quarter. But he was the first one to get a job, and he was so happy for winter and spring quarter. So it's kind of a trade-off, I would say. Uh, for other kind of recruiting, in my case, I recruited more on analytics roles. Um, so my summer internship was with VCG's data science team, VCG Gamma, and their recruiting timeline is so different from VCG Consulting. Um, with them, I did a little bit of networking, but it is a very straightforward process where you go and apply on the website, and if they like you, they call you back and uh, ask you to go through a tech kind of uh, in a screening round, and then you have multiple interviews. Um, that is why I said there is a, a huge ground between the big tech and the consulting and small industries. Like uh, You keep applying to them, and they come back to you. So it's very important to have your LinkedIn set on premium mode and keep job alerts and things like that. You talked about your internship search experience at BCG Gamma, right? Can you talk a little bit about what the internship itself entailed? You know, what does a day look like? What skills are required? And how did your past experiences help you in this role? Can somebody without prior data science experience succeed in that job? Yes, I would say it is probably easier to craft the interviews if you don't come from a data science background, as long as you're able to, you're willing to put in the effort to crack their like interviews because their interviews are usually case interviews but more aligned on like data science and things like that. You can easily get the training, especially from the booth analytics group and things like that, uh, to crack those cases because it's more a theoretical understanding of how you would approach a problem. But in terms of day-to-day experience for me at BCG Gamma, so it was almost similar to kind of a senior data scientist role that you would work for uh, in any company where you're essentially building machine learning products for your client, uh, for BCG's client, basically. And uh, you, very often, they have their own technology team, technology stacks. So you would have to work closely with them to understand what their technology stacks are and then work on tools and you know software scripts that aligns with their technology stack. So, uh, but there is massive amount of support within the BCG community. They have their own internal software engineers and things like that who can uh, who can make sure that you don't have to like worry too much about the engineering side. You can just code uh, data science products, but they will help you on the engineering system side. Uh, but that being said, it is still going to be coding heavy. So if if you are someone who's not into too much Python or R program, I mean it's usually going to be Python. So if you're not someone who's very comfortable with Python, then I wouldn't advise someone to pursue that because at the end of the day, that's going to be your daily uh, you know, job. Uh, but that being said, uh, BCG Gamma is, uh, you know, you get to experience working or uh, building data science products for a wide variety of clients that could range from really, really established businesses, which have with a very enduring or like with a very well-established tech and engineering stacks uh, and it also involves extremely small 
companies which don't have anything on the engineering system you know it's it's a personal choice which is better uh sometimes working in a smaller company with no established engineering stacks actually helps you as a consultant because you then kind of work from scratch and you can do everything yourself but sometimes uh having a bigger engineering stack makes means that you will build products that will uh be more sustainable and not be replaced immediately after you leave so either ways you will still be building products so uh that's something to keep in mind uh if you don't enjoy doing that at least for like 2 to 3 years down the line i wouldn't recommend that shiv can you speak about your full time job search you know what obstacles did you face and how did you overcome them in my case uh, uh for the viewers i actually uh, got an offer from apple but i got it through the campus recruitment process it was relatively more structured full time is more structured than internship especially in the tech side uh in the, on the consulting it's very difficult to get full time offer if you don't go through the internship pipeline uh but on the tech in the in the tech uh, industry it's you have more structured interviews for full time uh but uh it is also very um long drawn out process so i got my first round done in i think early september or early october and uh, i went through a series of interviews i called i, I was flown to cupertino in november and then i had uh, subsequent interviews in december as well and then finally just for a few days before my winter break i got the offer and uh, i also got through two other offers through off campus which is more like i applied on linkedin i got into capital one analytics group as well as wayfair's data science team uh, in both these cases again the the experience was quite similar you uh, apply and then you hear back from them and it's very long drawn out between multiple rounds and you won't hear back from them immediately but other than that i would say in terms of full time i would say be prepared for questions on what you did during your internship because when you are in recruiting full time your most important question will be what you did during your internship and why you are not pursuing it rather you are recruiting again so you need to have a clear answer as to what is the motivation behind uh your search again uh that's very important um uh in my case i was able to tell them that having worked in a startup uh having seen through their date into an execution of data science products i was uh, not extremely uh happy about just building uh an initial set of products and then going hands off in a consulting engagement so that made complete sense with my own professional background and my own professional journey so it was more relatable for the interviewers uh but any other less convincing answers or you know even my answer didn't convince certain people so it's always a challenge that you should look out for when you're recruiting full time especially if you are recruiting for a different company or industry from your internship experience shiv networking can be an important part of the internship and full time job search process and even beyond that right so based on your experiences what are some best practices for networking that students can adopt um i would say linkedin is going to be the resource for any b school candidate honestly i'm i'm genuinely lucky that i went to b school in an era where linkedin is this privilege um i can't think of how my life would have been 
six or seven years back when LinkedIn wasn't as big of a you know job finder as it is today, or not even a job finder. It is, it is the professional network that stands out for professionals to engage and connect with each other. Uh, don't be afraid uh, to reach out to random strangers on LinkedIn. Send a connection request and don't usually start by saying, "I want a job in your firm." You know, uh, especially in the West, Americans especially at least like uh, the human element in the job search process. So it should always be about connecting with them, saying, "Hey, I I really liked um, you know reading about your profile. I really uh, am passionate about this area. Uh, I would really love to hear from you about your experience, about what your challenges or your journey." Just frame it more from an engagement and conversation rather than from a job search it is very stressful as a student you are trying to find a job and you you can't like do this kind of a dance i would say but it is very important it's a very cultural element as well so setting up your uh, linkedin mails or uh, linkedin messages rather in mail uh, or connection request to say that i'm fascinated or excited by what you have done in your life and i would like to know your experience you just that would kind of set a conversation rolling and then you can uh slowly talk about your interests and how if they can help you pursue your goals and other than that you can always go to like the student alumni directory on like the uh the university's webpage and filter for at least at booth we have this filter where you could like search for if let's say i want to apply to apple i can just go there type apple and it throws out people who are working at apple and whatever email they have uh set as the kind of one that they prefer for people to contact them and some it could be both email address it could some even put their uh, gmail or professional email address so you just like send out cold emails to them typically they have even higher response rates than linkedin because they are obviously your own school's networks so you typically say like you know both student uh you know request for you know, informational interview or something like that and then you say that the same thing i'm interested in your career and all those things and then set up a conversation so it's all about reaching again here also the breadth is more important than depth uh reach out to as many people as possible uh 10% might respond but those 10% are going to change your life so that's how i would put it and always take interest in what they say and what their stories have been not just to get a job that that's the most important part i would uh, emphasize shiv since you graduated you've changed employers from apple right you're currently working at mojo so can you talk a little bit about what the company does and what do you do at the firm and what your day looks like at apple i was part of their uh, operations and supply chain team where i was actually part of their advanced analytics team where i was building out data science products to help them plan out their day to day operations and supply chain management um so it was an exciting role but now i am currently at mojo which is like a sports analytics uh, kind of startup which is a series a startup and uh, we were recently in stealth mode up until recently we recently came out so uh, there are still certain elements about it that's still confidential because we haven't reached, uh, launched our app yet but uh, by and large mojo is going to be a stock market for sports athletes so basically it's about you're no longer going to bet on outcomes of a game but rather you're going to uh, it's almost like a robin hood for 
athletes. Like you go long or short on athletes, you buy them at certain prices and sell them at certain prices. Their prices are going to be dictated by how they perform over their career. So if you know someone who early on that they're going to perform very well, then you can buy their stock on Mojo. And then if they keep doing well, then their price will go up and you can sell them later. So it's essentially, that's the concept. So it's involves sports analytics in terms of predicting how the player's performance is going to be, not just in the next game, but in the next series of games over their lifetime. And it also involves a good amount of trading and finance bringing into it. So my role is essentially on the finance side. There are like teams working on the sports analytics side. I'm working on the finance side. I'm, I'm basically part of their risk management framework where I make sure that Mojo, the market maker, will not put too much skin in the game and there is not too much risk for Mojo and uh, users can have a seamless experience trading on players. So that's kind of the overall details I have about my job. But uh, unfortunately, I couldn't share too much about it. But it's definitely a great experience because the series they fund in startups just like 75 employees and i was like a 50th around the 50th employee so great culture and uh, in terms of how my mba education has played in i would say um, a i was able to kind of you know seamlessly migrate from uh, you know kind of an industry where of operations and uh, other technology intensive uh, industry to kind of a finance sports side startup so it was a great learning experience for me, but also my I, I strongly believe uh, that like my education and food and things like that really prepared me to kind of accelerate that learning. Also, being part of a company this small and this early, it is important to not be focused on just you know building great data science products, but also products that actually make sense for the company at this scale. So I think that is where that like, you know, understanding the business problem statements rather than just thinking about machine learning solutions is very important. And uh, that definitely uh, comes into play in every uh, in every aspect or solutions that I'm designing, making sure that it's scalable as well as like relevant to the company at this time scale and not like futuristic AI driven kind of things. Uh, so, yeah, that's my experience so far. Speaking about being a data scientist more broadly, right? What advice do you have for someone interested in working as a data scientist? What education and experiences would you recommend they pursue? And is it possible to pursue a role in data science post-MBA without any prior experience? I would strongly say that analytics as a profession has uh, evolved and grown over the years. And uh, hence, I would strongly recommend that anyone who is interested in this line should not keep themselves up from trying for this just because uh, they don't have the relevant background as of now. Especially when you go for an MBA, uh, the companies that are looking for such uh, you know MBA students are typically keep an open mind about like their past background as long as they have the skill sets that at least they know that they these students have the skill sets that would be required for the job. So focus on that basically is, do you have enough skills in Excel? Do you have enough skills in at least one kind of, uh, you know, so, uh, analytics tools that they are, or Python? So uh, these are things that you can essentially attend like a three-month online course and you can actually become really sophisticated at it. 
you don't have to be uh, go for a master's education just for that companies now are building out so much uh, you know capabilities and strengths in the analytics divisions within their organizations that they are actually not having enough people to recruit um so if you really want to grow as a data scientist you don't have to necessarily start as a data scientist all the time especially if you don't have the relevant background you could make sure that you have the relevant analytical skills and the tools that i just talked about and then even start as kind of a business analyst very often like you know some companies they don't hire data scientists per se but they usually hire business analysts from school and then these analysts after two or three years they actually become even like lead data scientists managing a team of uh, you know analysts and data scientists so especially that is where the mba education helps because uh, the company obviously knows that you have something that like someone who having a typical data science background won't have which is our understanding about business and the larger problem statements rather than focusing on the just the engineering side so uh it's always nice to keep an eye out for not just data science per se roles but any role that would potentially give you an outlet to data science in the next couple of years so uh, again this is for people who don't have any connection to data science but would like to get into data science and shiv are there any certifications and technologies that are particularly valued in the field these days i know you talked about r and python already but additionally yes definitely i would say if you have the certifications on coursera or udacity on you know maybe some kind of data analytics um courses like nano degrees of course like which incorporates all these tools as well as like other kind of mathematical backgrounds on um statistics and things like that uh would definitely be helpful but i don't think they would make or break in terms of so it's like this i don't think companies when they filter out your resumes will be like they have the certificate so we have to call them up but uh if you actually end up going for the interviews knowledge of these would definitely put you at a very very higher ground than anyone else who has not gone through them so even if you think you don't have to get the certification per se i would still say you can audit the course for free just so that you build the skill set um i don't have any coursera certification but i have taken so many coursera uh classes for free just so that i understand what they have to offer and they have helped me immensely in my interview processes so shiv as we come to the close of the interview just any parting thoughts and final advice that you may have on how incoming students can be better prepared to hit the ground running and succeed at business school getting into a b school is going to be so uh you know uh, it, it is a simultaneously both the the best of times uh, as well as the most uh, you know um kind of like the most stressful time of your life uh when i got my admissions to booth i was like uh, i felt like uh this is it like oh this is this i uh, it was so exhausting and it was so stressful but i finally made it it's going to be amazing from now on but boy was i wrong because uh day one at booth you are competing with fellow students who went through the same process and came out successful so they 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 are good at this so they are ready for the next step so obviously the next step is going to be even more stressful and even more uh kind of you know um exhausting in a way but i would say the fact that uh if you made it to a b school it means that 
you have the potential to actually go through these steps it is just a question of time you will be in your own stream without that and that is unique to yourself so uh, like in my case analytics recruitment it's so different from tech or consulting so obviously i just have to have my heads down and keep applying and keep focusing on my interviews and preparation so that's one thing i would uh, emphasize to students not to take it so um uh, not so serious as to like affecting your mental health and uh, number two because everyone is going to get 99.99% of the time everyone's going to get a job for sure it's that's very important to keep in mind and number two is that um uh i would say resume is something that is probably uh overlooked or in the sense that people don't pay as much attention to the resume points uh it's not just you have the right names or the right designation like product manager data scientist in your resume it should also reflect the right skills and the uh, you know kind of uh requirements that the person is looking for from the candidate so i would say keep shaping up your resume again and again and again you would think at some point it is so perfect but you need to keep working on it i was so complacent when i went to b school thinking that this resume got me my admission so i'm probably going to get my offer as well from this resume but my resume that i submitted for my internship interviews went through uh, so many iterations that it was no longer recognizable and then i thought my interview internship resume was the best and then i went through again another series of resume changes for my full time i realized how strong my resume was for full time compared to even my internship resume and it was so different as well so i uh, keep iterating it keep iterating it you would think it's a waste of time but it's so important because uh, hiring managers receive thousands of applications resume is going to be the one that differentiates and it's not simple keywords that's going to separate you it's going to be the core technical skills not technical not like python or something but more like professional skills that you highlight through your resume so keep it as diverse and uh, multi uh, kind of skills uh, kind of as much as possible so shiv with that we come to the end of our interview and i really 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 want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show and for sharing everything that you know so authentically and with such great willingness to help prospective and incoming students thank you so very much for your time thank you so much nampar it's uh, honestly a great uh, honor and uh, you know great source of uh, happiness to be here actually Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Crack the MBA show. I look forward to seeing you again next week with our next guest. Do not forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify and YouTube. Thank you and bye-bye.